0: Hello, this is David Sangser, lead pastor at New Life Church. Thank you for joining us today for our podcast. It's our goal to help you grow in your faith and discover all that God has for you. I hope you're encouraged, challenged, and inspired. Enjoy the message. So today, we're going to get into the Davidic covenant. The Davidic covenant. It's going to be very hard for me to not to start spouting off about politics Because the Davidic Covenant is so interesting when it comes to um, the way governments function. We'll, I'll try not to go on too many soapboxes, but, you know, bear with me. What words come to mind when you think of the 19, am I humming here? you hear me humming? Bring me down a little bit. Um. What words come to mind when we think of the 1990 Chicago Bulls, All right? How about the 1970 Pittsburgh Steelers or the New England Patriots for the last, you know, 100 years? What, what word comes to mind? The word that I am going to say today is dynasty. Dynasty, okay? Dynasty. That's the word used to describe a championship team that is royalty in their sport. Um, I love the fact that, uh, what's what's the name, Biles, the um, gymnast, what's her first name? Simone, yes. She has embroidered in, like, glitter on her outfit a, a, a picture of a goat. Greatest of all time. She's like, I'm here. I have arrived. You are seeing the goat. That is kind of arrogant, but okay, whatever. The um there's there's people throughout the teams, people just say the greatest. I'd have to say, in my estimation, which is the only estimation that matters, Michael Jordan was the greatest basketball player ever to walk the earth. So far. LeBron James fans. You can leave right now. Okay? No, just get out. You didn't live, obviously didn't live during the Jordan era because there's just no way. He can make all the space jam movies he wants. He's never gonna be Michael Jordan. But dynasties are an interesting thing. We have sports dynasties and we have political dynasties, like the kings and queens of Europe throughout the Middle Ages in the thousand years of Chinese dynasties. One thing happens to any dynasty eventually, any dynasty eventually though, they all get dethroned. They all get dethroned. No kingdom or dynasty lasts forever except the Davidic dynasty. So the big idea for the message today is God made a covenant with David and fulfilling his promise of an eternal kingly dynasty to the person of Jesus Christ. See how I said that? He is fulfilling. Okay, it's not over yet. Not over yet. God wants the people of Israel to understand and then us to understand that we are grafted into this, that the Davidic dynasty is not over yet. So, we live in this tension. Now, before Christ, they looked forward to the dynasty. Okay? After Christ, we point back to Christ, and we then look forward to his return. Okay? And this is the tension that we live in. All right, so God warns the people of Israel against their desire for a king. Okay? God warns the people of Israel. This is before... The, uh, after the Exodus, we get into what we talked about last week. We get into Numbers. We get into the Levitical uh, teachings. We get into uh, Joshua. When Joshua takes the reins, he starts bringing the people into the promised land. They start uh, defeating their enemies. God says, I, I will make your enemies my enemies. Remember we said that last week? And they start to inhabit the land. And Joshua dies. And we have this period of the Judges, which is just awful. It's just a continual yo-yo of power between Israel and its surrounding nations. And, it, and the string of that yo-yo is their relationship with God. Okay? They, they uh, reject God, and they're far from him. And then when they start to have a problem... They they turn back to God, and God pulls them right back into his hand. You see, so that's what happens. And God warns them against this concept of wanting, desiring a king. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, he lays it out pretty thick of what is going to happen when that king comes. He said, in verse 11, these are the rights of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and put them... Into his use, in his chariots, on his horses, or running in front of his chariots, he can appoint them for his use as commanders of thousands or commanders of fifties, to plow his equipment uh, for the chariots. No, excuse me, plow his ground and reap his harvest, to make his weapons, war and the equipment for his chariots. He can take your daughters to become perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He can take your best fields take a tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give them to his officials and servants. He could take your male servants, your female servants, your best cattle, your donkeys, and use them for his work. He could take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves can become his servants. When that day comes, you will cry out because of the king you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord won't answer you on that day. So God warns them against their desire for a king, the king that they have chosen. Now, interestingly enough, we often think about you know, it was wrong for Israel to, to have a king. Well, that's not necessarily true. I mean, even back in the Abrahamic covenant, a king was always part of the plan. Look at Genesis 17, verse 6. It says, I will make you exceedingly uh, fruitful, and I will make you into a nation. A king shall come from you. Kings will come from you. It was supposed to happen. Genesis 17, 16 says, I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her, meaning Sarah. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And then God said to Jacob later on in Genesis thirty five eleven. I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply, a nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. So this was always part of the plan. So why is God warning Israel against a king? God knew, he not only knew that Israel would want a king, but he permitted it. God records that a king, in the, in the book of Deuteronomy, God records that a king must come from their own tribes. Can't be foreign. And then he lays some things out in Deuteronomy. He says, this is the following three important restrictions of a king. Ready? The king must not go back to Egypt for help. Must not acquire many horses must not marry many wives, and no, uh, nor excessive silver and gold. These are all restrictions that Solomon, David's son and heir, violated with impunity. This guy was all over these things. Which goes to show, let me just, let me just, let me just step off for a second here. Solomon was one of the wisest men in history. The Bible even indicates that he may have been the wisest man in history. So why would he do this? Because of what the Bible said last week when we read it. When you are blessed, be careful that you don't forget where your blessings come from. See, he was king, but he wasn't God. And we forget that. We can forget that even in our own little kingdoms. So kingship was not forbidden. It was not a forbidden thing, and it was expected that God would give Israel a king in due time. Thus, the problem here was with the motives, the motives and the timing of Israel's Request. As for motives, Israel wanted a king in order to be like the other nations. That was, we want a king. We want to be like the other nations. This was a constant struggle for Israel. They constantly wanted to be like everybody that was around them. 1 Samuel 8 5 says, Behold, you were old, talking to Samuel. They're like, Samuel, you were old. And your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint us a king to judge us like all the nations. There's a huge problem here, twofold problem. One being that Samuel, in all his greatness as the, judge of, the prophet and judge of Israel, didn't bring his kids up right. Unfortunately. So that, that gave them an argument against Samuel's family to continue the, 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 um, the prophetic dynasty of the prophets judging Israel. So, and in verse uh, 8, verse uh, 19 through 20, chapter 8, 19 and 20, it says, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and judge us and go out before us and fight. Our battles. Ooh. That we can have a king. Like, you know, like a real king. Like a real one that we can see. And he can go out and fight our battles. These are the same people that have had God show up every single time that they have asked him to. After they have rejected him completely, denied him, prostituted themselves to false gods. And they're like, no, we want a real king. And as much as I want to like rip him over the coals for that, we do the same stuff. 1 Samuel 8, 6 says this. But when they said, give us a king to lead us. this." displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing it to you. Saul is chosen by Lot. So now we have this first king. And Saul is chosen by Lot. I don't know what a Lot is. Some people say it's like a dreidel. Dreidel. Some people say it's like a dice. Some kind of a, a way of deciphering the will of God or something like that. They did a lot of things with, with Lot. This displeased. Okay, so they, they, they chose Saul to be their first king and is anointed by Samuel. It very quickly does exactly what The people want. So Saul gets to be king, and guess what he does? What the people want him to do. And that is the inherent problem with human government. We're always concerned about what other people think instead of the higher standard. Okay? Um... So he obeyed what people wanted instead of what God wanted. There's many uh, stories of Saul just kowtowing to the leaders of the tribes rather than to what God said. Saul constantly bends to the pressures of the people instead of obeying the voice of God. Thus he is rejected by God, and his dynasty ends with him. Not a very... Long dynasty. Not only is it not everlasting, it's just him. (laughs) The dynasty of me. (laughs) Right? So when God gave the people Saul, he was giving them exactly what they wanted. Remember what he says earlier? The king that you choose will be this type of guy, and he will do these types of bad things. Um, so when God gave him Saul, he gave them like the stereotype king, like all the other kingdoms. I'll prove it to you. 1 Samuel 9. And this, see, if you're not coming out on Tuesday nights for Bible study, you're missing out on a lot. Because I learned this particular thing from Tuesday night. I had never seen this before. And Michael opened my eyes to this particular part of Scripture. It's like an introduction to a person, and this introduction to a person shows their stature. So We're t- uh, studying about the book of Micah on Tuesday nights, and Micah had a very nothing introduction, meaning he was like a nobody, whereas you're going to see that Saul has a very different introduction. First, uh, First Samuel 9, 1 Samuel 9.1, there was a prominent man of Benjamin named Kish, son of Ebael, son of Zeror, son of Bekrath, son of Ephiah. Oh, I'm butchering those names. Son of a Benjamite. So what he's saying is this, is that this person, Saul, is very important because he has this, this uh, pedigree. Right? So this is what they want. They wanted the king like everybody else. You know, good pedigree, ancient family. He had a son named Saul, an impressive young man. There was no more impressive among Israelites than he. The ladies loved him. He stood a head taller than anyone else. He was literally a head taller than all the other weaklings, you puny boys. He was, he was the guy, which, which, which opens up a whole new uh, look at the confrontation with Goliath. If Saul was head and shoulders above all the other men, who should be out there fighting the, the giant? Saul. He was the, he was the cream of the crop, right? This exactly what they wanted. But it wasn't good. His reign was compromised. 1 Samuel 13, 14 says, but now your reign will not endure. The Lord has found a man after his own heart. The Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not done what the Lord commanded. I I am going to get a little soapbox here. We live in a democracy, democratic republic to be exact. But the genius of our founding fathers was this. This concept of one nation under God. One nation. When you take that under God part out, you open yourself up to all kinds of problems. You just do. Now, listen, as we talk about David, we're going to hear about how he did not live up to the standards all the time that we would want to see happen. And America hasn't either. We haven't. Let's just be honest. But here's the thing. If we were to stay one nation under God, then we can grow to be more like God. But when we take God out of the equation, then who is the real Ruler, me, man. And I'm telling you, if that's what we want, that's exactly what God will give us. That's exactly what he has given us. And we need to get back as a nation, as a people, to understanding that our prosperity, whatever you want to call it, is completely based on the lordship of Jesus Christ over our hearts, over our families, which is the first institution established by God, then over our communities. If we can do that again, then maybe we can start applying some of the national promises of God that are in the scriptures. But he's going to give us exactly what we want. And unfortunately, what we want right now is to be our own master. We live in a very hedonistic society. We've got to be cautious that we don't follow the same patterns. You know what it says? You know, the, the wise man once said, if you don't remember the past, you're doomed to repeat it. And that's one of the great things about Scripture is it shows us what not to do before we don't do it, right? So, when God chose David, he selected someone that was worthy of the job. 1 Samuel 16, 5-7 says this, speaking of Samuel, he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and said, certainly, the Lord's anointed stands before me. Why did he say that? Because he looked like Saul. He looked like Saul. So he's like, well, that's what a king looks like. But forgetting that Saul's looks got him nowhere. Saul's stature got him nowhere. So this is what God says. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or his stature. Because I have rejected him. I don't know if he rejected him as a person, but just not he's not going to be the king. Humans do not see what the Lord sees. For humans see what is visible. But the Lord sees the heart. I just read a book, another one, because I can't get enough of books about Abraham Lincoln. I love that guy. If there was one historical figure out there in American history that I was allowed to go back and talk with, it would probably be him. Not so much because he's such an important man, but because apparently he was really funny. He, like, told stories, like, all the time. In fact, his cabinet got so annoyed with him because he would never get right to the point. He would tell a parable story that got to his point. And then they would be like, couldn't you have just said that like half an hour ago? They'd get annoyed with him. But I'm telling you, this is the story of Abraham Lincoln. Have you ever seen a picture of the guy? He's like the weirdest looking dude ever. In fact, it was a little girl from the Midwest who wrote Abraham Lincoln a letter. And she said, Mr. Lincoln, I think... Your face would look better with a beard. Little girl. Yeah. And so that's why he started growing the beard. And then he came to the town and his, uh, his time, in the train, he, and he found her. And like, he said, how do I look? I think that's a cool story. Come on. That's a cool story. But the idea is this, I mean, Some of the greatest people that we know are people of humility. Not necessarily the ones that we think from their out, because God looks at the heart. We're so infatuated with this very thin layer organ that is skin. So infatuated with it that I rejected him. Man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. In Acts, we have this confirmation that David was a man after God's own heart. Acts 13, 22. After removing him, being Saul, he raised up David as the king and testified about him. I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be the man after my own heart who will carry out all my will. Think about that. Why was Saul rejected? Because he wouldn't carry out God's will. Why was David lifted up? Because he would carry out God's will. Now, those of you who know your Bible, you know that David had some major issues in his life. Major. So how could God call David a man after his own heart? Being after God's own heart doesn't mean he's like a chip off the old block. Like he's like little God. Like, he's like God. That's not what it means. Like, hey, buddy, give me a noogie. No, it's not. That's not what he's talking about. It's not like, you know, a man after God's own heart means that you're just like God or like you're like a, a clone. It means that he loved God's law and sought to follow it. He failed at times, miserably. But after his sin, he sought and received the Lord's forgiveness. God doesn't need perfection. He needs affection. God doesn't need uh, perfection. He needs affection. When we are after God's heart, that is the pursuit that God can bless. Ask yourself this question Are you someone? who pursues God Maybe you're thinking I don't know what you mean by that What what does it look like to pursue somebody I'll tell you what it looks like to pursue somebody Lisa and I are coming up on our 21 year anniversary next week Good on her Well, when I was, how old was I when we first started dating? Seven? Oh, 17. (laughs) Oh, seven was when I actually wanted to date her, but she wouldn't give me the nine. Uh, I'll tell you what. At school, we went to high school together, and I'm a person of, David kind of talked about it, I'm a person of singular focus. When I want something, I pretty much go after it. And that beautiful little teenager over there was somebody that I wanted. And I pursued her with tenacity. Every time there was a break in the the day's schedule, whether she liked it or not, I was at her desk like, hey, how you doing? Some might call this a stalker. I call it tenacity. Um, How you doing? How's your day going? Fine. Same as it was half an hour ago when you came over here. I wrote her poetry. I wrote her songs. I visited her at work. One day she was taking a college course. And uh, I went to the college and I... See, she's the oldest of seven kids. So when she would go to college, she would drive the big fifteen passenger van to college, right? (laughs) So it was easy to find her car. So I I bought her a rose and I wrote her some poetry and I put it on her side view mirror and then I left. That's the coolest thing, guys. Don't stick around to watch. Be confident enough to leave. Gold guys, little guys, write it down. You know, uh, the idea, and then, and then she, she got it. And that night, I'm like, I'm waiting by the phone because I know the call is coming. And it came. Tenacious to pursue somebody is to try a, with everything you have to grow closer to that person, to know that person. to get to a place where you can anticipate their desires before they have to express it with their words. That's the pursuit. That's somebody, I was after that woman's heart, and I still am today. Love you, bud. But we want to pursue. That's what it means. It doesn't mean that I'm perfect. We all know that's not true. She is, but I'm not. That's not what it means to be after God's own heart, to be perfect. It's about the pursuit. It's about someone who is after, tenaciously after God's own heart. So I'm going to ask you the question again. Are you someone who pursues God? Think about it. Are you someone who pursues God? Are you a God acquaintance? You know that the church is called the bride of Christ. It's hard to be the bride or the groom of an acquaintance. You've got to get to know each other. Are you chasing after the heart of God? If the answer is yes, then in spite of your imperfection, you are primed for God to do something awesome in and through your life. He doesn't need perfection. He needs affection. When when he has that, he can use us, and it's an amazing thing. In 2 Samuel 7, the prophet Nathan describes God's covenant with David, saying this, Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. In Psalms 89, it says this, You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build you a throne for all generations. All generations. The Sinai covenant was established between God and Israel with Moses as his mediator. In Davidic times, The additional element was added, okay? This is an additional element of the covenant. God entered into a covenant with David as king. God made a promise to an individual, not to Israel in this moment, but to the person of David and his lineage. Their promise is that an everlasting kingship will come from his body. It is the establishment of a perpetual dynasty, a throne, a kingdom. The promise of God had made to David that his house, his throne, his kingdom would be established forever. This kingship becomes important when we see the genealogies of Matthew chapter 1. That Jesus came from the Davidic line. Jesus is an inheritor of David's kingship covenant. See how God can use an imperfect man who is passionate in the pursuit of the heart of God, the ways of God, and the praise of God. He's able to um, connect That person to the very family of God. Think about that. The Davidic line goes all the way to Jesus, and then God grafts in the Son of God into the line of David. David's family now is part of God's family tree. That's awesome. That's awesome. And he says he does that to us by adoption through the cross. That's cool. He's grafted us into his family through the redemption that comes. Redemption from our stupidity. Redemption from our failures. Redemption from our inadequacies. Redemption from our foolishness, our rejection of him, a rebellion. Because we're not perfect. But God's not after perfection. He's after affection. That person can be an instrument that will change the world. Just like David. Change I'm going to ask you again. Are you a person who pursues God? Let's be a people, right? So many people, oh, God. I've talked. It's been amazing. I've had multiple drops, drop-ins here, now that we've been in the, in the mall more often. Drop-ins, people coming in. And they're like, church, huh? oh, interesting. We talk a little bit. And I'm like, you should come on a Sunday morning. Oh, no. Oh, no. If I came to this church, the roof would probably crash in. Really? Because if that were the case, it would have fallen in a long time ago. Because even the pastor. Is human and perfection with a doorway to forgiveness. No matter who walked in the place, the roof would fall in. I don't know where they get that. It's not in scripture. Like thou dost not go into the room, lest the ceiling fall in upon thy head. Where does this come? I don't know. I don't know where that comes from. But it's a like it happens. It said they say it a lot. People say that a lot. I'm like, where did I get that from? So the idea is this. God is not after perfection, he's after affection. When we pursue the heart of God, God can use us to change the world that we live in. And God guys, we need a change in this world. The church needs to rise up again. This idea of separation in church and state the way it's defined today is stupid. It's stupid. It's never how it was meant to be. The idea of separation of church and state was this concept that no church or or a religious could organize to run the the state, like they were doing over in England and other countries, that the church owned the was political in its nature. But our founding fathers, we hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal. Created, created, Created equal. By who? They're endowed by who? Their creator. This is a legal document. This is a government document that by these may be pursuit of the, uh, pursuit of happiness. Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Now we have fallen short of that equality. Think about women's rights in our country for years. Black rights in our country for years. We're not there yet. We fell, we've fallen far short of the, of the Ideal that the founding fathers put forward, but we're uh, by God's grace, can we work on it better? Can we be better? Because we're pursuing Him. We're not going to do it if we pursue us. Anyway, that's another soapbox. It has nothing to do with the ending of this message. Sorry. It just ticks me off, okay? But the church needs to rise up and be the church in every sphere of the world. We can't say, oh, we can't go in there. That's, you know, politics. You can't go there. or well, we can't take this to the schools because, you know, that's academia. Garbage. Under, we are all should be under God and live that way no matter where we are. Lord, God, help us to be passionate pursuers of you no matter where we are. God, we thank you that you don't require perfection but you desire affection. People who are going to be passionately pursuing you, no matter where their life is. And God, your promises are there for us, for those who do this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek, seek, pursue my face. Think about that. Then you hear, oh my gosh, you hear and you heal. God, help us to be that people. And as the church, help us to spur one another on to faith and good works as people under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We love you. Help us to figure out, pursue ways to show you how much we love you, even more than we are right now. Jesus name. Amen. Amen. God bless. Have a great, great